Hopefully you found the notes. Anybody need one? Uh, if you need one, raise your hand. We might have some extras uh, floating around. Make sure that you can get your hands on one of those. <clears throat> we have made it to uh, John chapter 4. <clears throat> We're going to cover these first 42 verses uh, where it is this famous story of Jesus meeting <clears throat> this woman at the well. Uh, anybody here other than me familiar with that story? You've heard about, you know, the, the woman at the well. <clears throat> We're going to look at this story tonight. It's absolutely fascinating um, how God just continues to open up the scriptures and um, helps me. And I hope, um, hopefully it will help everyone here tonight to see uh, this picture <clears throat> of what's happening in this story. And I want to go ahead and preface this by saying, it is much, much bigger than Jesus going there to meet a woman at a well. Uh, the, the context of this passage is massive and uh, massively important. As a matter of fact, I would say that this encounter is literally pivotal to the ministry of Christ, why he came, uh, what he is about to do, um, and, and the real focal point uh, of him coming and dying on the cross and all that stuff. And we, we miss it, <clears throat> quite honestly, because of being so divorced from the Old Testament, first of all. Um, and secondly, just not understanding our Bible through that Old Testament perspective, those prophecies, and watch this. <clears throat> Yeshua, Jesus, did not do anything, go anywhere, or say anything by accident or happenstance. It was all <clears throat> specifically laid out um, down to who he would meet, where he was, when he would be there, and specifically, and like in this case, a very specific location for a very specific reason. And quite honestly, it is powerful and very important to understand. So <clears throat> I've got the notes for you here. I believe we've got the passages for you uh, down through verse 42. We'll kind of uh, section this off a little bit and try to bite this off a little bit at a time. Uh, once again, for those of you that are new here, <clears throat> we've got this up here uh, in the scriptures version. Uh, I just really like the way they use the, uh, some of the original names and stuff, and it does help us kind of understand uh, what's going on. So <clears throat> reading these first four verses in John chapter 4, it says, So when the master knew that the Pharisees heard that Yeshua made and immersed more, than the, more taught ones than Yohanan, which would be John the Baptist, although Yeshua himself did not immerse his, but his taught ones, he left Yehuda. <clears throat> And went away again to Galilee, or Galilee, and he had to pass through Shomron. So let's stop here just for a second. So in this version here, it's using these terms Shomron, uh, which is what we would typically think of Samaria. There's reasons why it's using this phrase. The first time I heard it, I was like, I'm not sure. Uh, it's not real important to, to chase that this evening. Um, but that's, what, that's the term that it's using. And right here it's saying that when Yeshua found out, when he realized that the Pharisees um, were investigating everything and they realized this guy now has a stronger following than John the Baptist, 
and he and his disciples are baptizing more than John the Baptist. And they're starting to take really, really special note of Jesus, of Yeshua. He does what? He leaves. I'm out of here. Now, remember, this is these Yehudim, these religious leaders that are uh, not just the Jews in general. And they're investigating Yeshua and trying to figure out what's really going on. And Yeshua knows that his time, I believe, he knows his time isn't yet. It's not time yet for him to have some of these major confrontations with these Pharisees and these Yehudim. That's coming. He will spend the rest of his ministry pounding them over their religious practices and how they've um, superseded the very law of God, the very Torah given through Moses for their religious practices. And so he's going to be constantly challenging them on their views and their practices and how they've weighed down the people of God. And like we talked about last week, Uh, supposed to be leaders and teachers of God's people and yet don't understand some of these most basic fundamental truths. And we're going to get into one of them in here that is just absolutely, it's kind of mind-boggling when you realize the actual words that people are saying and then you realize it in context. That's why this is so important because I want you, we're going to see something. I, I hope you'll get as excited as I am about it. I think I come in here every week just really pumped and excited, and I hope you can catch that. I just love the Word of God, and I love our Savior, amen, because he's just, he's amazing. Um, but I want you to just hold on to this thought here, because it said he had to pass through Shomron, or had to pass through Samaria. Now, <clears throat> A lot of people and a lot of the commentaries, you're getting these commentaries out, they're going to say, well, the reason he had to pass through Samaria was because he needed to meet this woman. I'm going to say, well, uh, yes, but it's bigger than him meeting the woman at the well. It's actually huge. Some people would say, well, he had to go that way Uh, He had to go through Samaria because he's just trying to take the gospel there. And he had to go. uh, Literally, there are some theologians that say, well, he had a a timeline. He maybe had a a meeting that he was already planning, blah, blah, blah. And he just he had to hurry up and get there. Well, obviously, he had to hurry up and get there because God knows everything. And there's a woman coming. Right. But here's what's fascinating. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself because I'm going to look at a couple of maps here in a second. Um, Him going through Samaria is not normal. The Samaritans and the Jews, even though they're all Israelites, even though some of the Samaritans, a lot of them had intermarried and all kinds of other stuff, but they hated each other. Let me say this again. They hated each other. Wars broke out. I mean, it was not normal for him to go there. And what's interesting is that John, through the Holy Spirit, is pointing that out for us. It's the first clue that we need to pay attention, watch this, to where he's going. 
because he said he had to pass through Shomron. He had to pass through Samaria. Let's move on here. So it says in verse 5, he says, So he came to a city of Shomron called Shechem. A lot of debate about that. Uh, another term, and if you have maybe in the ESV there, I believe it says in Sychar or Sakar, depends on how you really want to pronounce that. Uh, and there's a lot of debate about that, but I will, we'll look at that here in a second. These two cities are close by, very, very, very close. I don't want to get too hung up on which particular city he's at. It's this, it's this area that's important. And so it says it's near the peace of the land, that Yaakov gave to his son, Yosef, Joseph. So it's near the land that Jacob, Israel, gave to who? Joseph, whose sons Jacob declared to be his heirs like his own son. So he declares Ephraim and Manasseh as part of his flesh and blood born sons. And this is in the area that he gives to those two tribes, the half tribe of Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay? And he's bringing out a connection with Jacob or Yaakov, Yaakov and his well and Joseph. You have to keep all that stuff in mind because it's really, really fascinating. Let's, let's continue on. <clears throat> So in verse 6, it says, uh, And Yaakov's fountain was there, so Yeshua, being wearied from the journey, was sitting thus uh, at the fountain. It was about the sixth hour. A woman of Shimron came to draw water, and Yeshua said to her, Give me a drink. For his tall ones had gone off into the city to buy food. The woman of Shimron therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Yehudite, a Jew, Ask a drink of me, a woman of Shomron. For Yehudim do not associate with Shomronites. We don't talk. It's, in other words, it's abnormal for you to even be here. How would she even know that? Probably at least from his accent and his clothing. Although both of these groups believed, watch this, believed that they were the true followers of Yehovah. You, they really believed that, okay? <clears throat> so she's like, I don't even understand, number one, what you're doing here. Number two, why are you talking to me, a woman, here by yourself? That's not right. And secondly, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> Uh, you're not supposed to be here. As a matter of fact, it was even, watch this, dangerous. He was in hostile territory. So it's literally a dangerous trip for him to make. We'll get to that here in just a second. I want to continue reading down through verse 12. So verse 10, Yeshua answered and said to her, if you knew, you might want to circle that in your notes. If you knew, the gift of God, the gift of Elohim. And who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would, give, would have given you living water. He's calling her out going, you don't even know, number one, who you're really talking to. You don't even understand the gift. You don't understand the significance of 
the two of us being here. And if you really understood it, you'd be asking me to give you, drink, give you living water. Mm. Then look at what she says. Are you greater than our father Yaakov who gave us the well? You might underline that. Who gave us the well. She's talking about her people who Ephraim and Manasseh, the people that lived there and drank from it himself and his sons and his cattle. <clears throat> so I'm going to stop there because what I want you to see is a few things. <clears throat> Number one, she calls him out and he's like, she's like, <clears throat> why are you even talking to me? You're in the wrong place. Yeshua is starting from the very beginning to let her know that you're the one that doesn't know who you're talking to. And he's not doing it in a bad way. It's a loving way. Because he's there for a reason. And it's bigger than her. But she is incredibly tied to this. And he said, man, if you only knew the gift of God, if you only knew, as I was reading this and studying this, I thought, man, how often we as believers, followers, Christians walk around spouting off stuff and you could almost hear God saying, if you only knew, if you only knew what you were talking about, if you only knew what you were even asking, if you only knew who you were even talking to, <clears throat> um, this conversation would probably be much different. The other thing that I want to point out, <clears throat> because we've already kind of skipped past it, um, Yeshua's there and he's tired. He stays and he sends the disciples into town to get food. He's there by himself. This woman shows up and he says, give me a drink. You ever think about God having needs? Or is it just always about us? God needs for us to worship him, love him, and point people to him. And sometimes I think he gets weary of us acting like idiots. You know, we ought to give him a break and start doing what he called us to do. Amen. Uh, I, that, that part right there just kind of jumped out at me because here's the creator of the universe talking to this Samaritan woman and we have a tendency to really focus on her being somebody whose moral compass doesn't point quite towards true north. I, I don't know if that's really the main point in this whole story. I really don't. <clears throat> uh, I, think, I think she's a woman who has suffered greatly. She is there by herself. Um, she's had five husbands and now she's living with somebody that's not her husband. So she's given up. You ever felt like you just want to give up? You ever been there? It's like, you know, I'm just done. Um, <clears throat> I think that's what happened with her. We're not really told that she had five divorces. We're just said she's had five husbands. Not even sure if they all died. Is it possible? Yeah, it's possible. Could some of them died and some of them been divorced? Possible. What we do know is that she's had five. She's living with somebody now and evidently has given up. Um, and 
she shows up there and Yeshua goes, would you give me something to drink? So she calls him out. Then she, he gives her this statement here in verse 10. I mean, if you only knew, if you only knew what was really going on here, I would have given you, or you knew the gift of God, you'd have been asking, and I would have been giving you living water. <clears throat> and um, I want you to notice here also in verse 10, because it says, if you knew the gift of Elohim and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him. So he's pointing out that he is the gift of God. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's speaking to you, you'd have asked him, me, and he would have given you living water. Now, <clears throat> before I go too much far, farther in this, I want to show you how bizarre this whole thing is and how far off track he is from your, if you will, normal uh, Jewish people of that time. Can you bring up that first map called the map of Palestine at the time of Yeshua? <clears throat> wow, this one's going to be hard to read. That's, man, I wish I had a pointer now. All right. Um, you can see the Dead Sea. I'll use my finger this way. No, I'm not that tall. <laughs> I'm going to have to be a lot taller. All right, you see where the Jordan River is going up there to the Sea of Galilee? You see in the middle there where it says Samaria? <clears throat> if you come down that town in the middle, you can't read it. I'm sorry you can't read it. I don't know why it's so bad. That's Shechem, okay? Right to the right of that is Sakar. That's those two towns. But there's two mountains. The mountain down below that is Gerizim. The mount above that is Ebal. Following that? So that highlighted area on the left side, which that would be the west, the west side of the Jordan River, from those dotted lines up the top and those dotted lines there in the middle, that is the area of Shamron or Samaria. A normal, and Jesus is leaving from Jerusalem. And where's he going? He's going up to Galilee, up at the very top. You following that? <clears throat> The normal route, an Orthodox Jewish man, anybody actually, would have taken from Jerusalem to Galilee is they would hang an immediate right, cross the Jordan River, go all the way up, up there to where it says Decapolis, past Samaria, and then cross the Jordan River again. They would go around Samaria. They would not go through it. They hated each other. They didn't trust each other. And they actually were concerned about their lives because they could get killed. They hated each other. And this went back a thousand years, actually farther than that, from the split of the two kingdoms. And there was almost a war, and God said, no, don't do it. Don't do it. When they split, which was right after Solomon dies and his son takes over the kingdom. It goes back that far. <clears throat> Can you pull up the next map that I've got? So the reason I brought up this map, this is a current map <clears throat> of Israel. That dot right there is the the current town of called Nablus. Anybody ever hear that term in the news? You should have. 
because Nablus is the, if you will, unofficial capital of the Palestinian Authority. Okay, which is where? Shechem. Okay, but they really don't call it that. Why? Because they want all of Israel and specifically Jerusalem. You following me? So I wanted you to see where that is currently because I've got some more things to share with you and you're like, what? So isn't it interesting that in the Shomron, which is where? It's the current West Bank. Why is it called the West Bank? Because Jordan, you see Amman over there? That's Amman, Jordan. You see that up there, Damascus? That's in where? Syria. Are these names starting to ring bells for you? <clears throat> so in, in Jordan, Amman, Jordan, when they had the war and Israel captured this side, Jordan immediately started calling that, either right then or right before this war, they started calling that the West Bank. Why? Because it's on the west side of the Jordan River. Why? They wanted to call it something other than Israel or quote-unquote Palestine. Why? So they could claim it for themselves. Words mean things. And if you tell a lie long enough, people just start to believe that's what it is. So everybody goes, well, yeah, that's the West Bank. Been hearing that for the last 50 years. It's the West Bank. No, it's the West side. It's the West Bank of the Jordan River. But what is that area? It's Samaria. It's the area that Jesus said, when you see the sign of the abomination spoken of by Daniel the prophet, those of you in Judea and Samaria flee because the persecution that's going to happen is going to be worse than anything the world has seen up to that point or ever since past it. Meaning World War II will not hold a candle to what's coming. That should get all of our attention. So what's fascinating is these people hated each other. These people hate each other today. It's the same. It hasn't changed. Not even in the exact area. Nablus is in the same place where, G where we're reading this story. Can somebody here, or can you start thinking, well, this is about to get interesting, right? All right, <clears throat> let's go on. So in verse 13, oh, I, I, I want to, I, I almost went past this too quick. I wanted you to highlight this in verse 12 where she says, man, are you greater than our father Jacob? Because I mean, he gave us this well. The well is just, if you look at where Nablus is, and, and, uh, which is right, it's, it's uh, Shechem. And those, pull up that map that we had up there before this one, will you? Okay, you have Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. I need to bring this up because I'm afraid when I get here later, I'm, I'm going to forget. This, the Jordan River, I want you to understand that when Israel went in, when they came out of the wilderness after they came out of Egypt, 
When they moved into what is now called the land of Israel to conquer the land, where did they go? The first place they went was right there. Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal is the place where Moses told Joshua, when you take the people in, you go to this place, okay? You're to put half of the priest on Mount Gerizim, half of the priest on Mount Ebal. You're to read the Torah and tell them, you've got a choice, cursings or blessings, Choose this day who you want to serve. You want to serve the gods of your fathers? You want to serve the gods of these people in this land? Or do you want to serve Yahovah? But as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. That's where that, and that's where it happened. Well, guess what else happened? That's where they brought Joseph's bones to bury him out of Egypt. All in this one spot. Why? Why? Why here? What, what is so special about this spot? Because, folks, God has known from the very beginning when he created the earth how it was all going to pan out, and he also knew that Israel would be split into two kingdoms. One of them's going to end up being called the Samaritans up here, and guess what? They're going to be so bad, I'm going to divorce them, and I'm going to scatter them all over the face of the earth. Some of them will stay the Samaritans. Some of them tried to stay, um, <clears throat> I'll say this word pure, I guess you'd say, where they didn't intermarry. A lot of them did, and they did incorporate a lot of the pagan practices of the nations around them, and especially the Syrians who came and conquered them <clears throat> and then scattered them in 722 B.C. And so now we're here at the time of Yeshua, and he's right there, because God sent Yeshua to do something. You see, Yeshua said, I only came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I don't have that passage for you. It just came to me once again. Who are those people, the house of Israel? The Samaritans, the Ephraimites, the lost tribes, if you will, the 10 lost tribes in the northern kingdom. That's the northern kingdom. It's up there. You, you, you following with me? <clears throat> okay. So they, they, she makes a point. So she understands. She's part of this group that understands their heritage uh, nearly a thousand years past, about 800 years past. 800 years. 800 years. We're a nation of immigrants. Nobody that I know of, has your ancestors probably been in the, on this country for 800 years, unless you're a Native American. We got any in here? Pieces? <laughs> uh, 800 years. Yet she knows Jacob gave us this well. That's important because she's about to make a distinction. It's huge. Let's go on. <clears throat> um, because <clears throat> she's like, are, are you greater than Jacob? I mean, he's our father and he gave us this. Well, he gave us this land. This is where he watered his, his sons and, and his cattle. And they all drank from this well and it's ours. What are you doing here? You can almost imagine what she's thinking and how she's approaching this. 
So then look at verse 13. It said, Yeshua answered her and said, Everyone who drinks of this water is going to thirst again, but whoever drinks the water that I shall give him certainly never thirst. And the water I give him shall become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. I'm going to have to stop here for a second and <clears throat> let you see something. You might want to write beside that. Um, he goes, whoever drinks this water I give him will certainly thirst again. I want you to write beside that this reference of John. We're still in this same chapter. We'll get to this verse in a second. But I want you to jot beside that John 4, 32. Because when we get to verse 32, <clears throat> Yeshua is going to say to his disciples, and he said to them, I have food to eat of which you do not know. Once again, if you only knew, and he's going to be talking to his disciples about, I've got food to eat that you don't even know about. Here he's telling this woman, he goes, look, um, whoever drinks of this water is going to thirst again. But whoever drinks the water I give him is never going to thirst again. He's going to well up into living water. <clears throat> um, let me pull up one more thing here. This idea here of him saying, uh, everyone who drinks of this water is going to thirst again. Folks, I think what he's talking about here, it's a reference to the simple things of this world, not the specific water in that well that Jacob gave. And did you know that it is still there and it's still in use today? He's not talking about <clears throat> if you drink this water, you know, you're, just, you're going to get thirsty. He's talking about you're coming here probably in the heat of the day. It's in the middle of the day. Um, a lot of people want to say because, and this woman had, um, that she was, she was there to avoid the crowds. That's possible. But when I, over my lifetime, I'm 62 years old, I've been in the ministry a long time, and I would read this story and I'd go, isn't it kind of odd to think that a woman that we would think is, you know, morally really messed up, and it doesn't say that in the passage, did you notice that? It doesn't say that. It just says, Jesus said, well, yeah, you answered right. You don't have a husband. You've had five. You're living with somebody now. <clears throat> and he doesn't bust her chops about that either. Uh, but when she does leave, I know I'm getting way ahead of myself. She leaves. She's able to bring the whole town back up there. The religious leaders in the town listen to her, which tells me there's more to this story than what we've been told. We shouldn't be so quick to think, well, this lady, I guess she's just a harlot or something, and, you know, she's just really messed up. Boy, if Jesus can save her, he can save me kind of thing, right? Is that true? Yeah. Folks, I'm telling you, if, Jesus, if Yeshua can do anything with me, he can do something with you. If he can reach down and grab me as a teenager, he can change your life too. <clears throat> if he can save Paul, he can save you. If he can save a woman at the well who's had five husbands, he can save any of us here. Amen? I think that's cool. I think it's powerful. <clears throat> but I think what he's also saying is, look, you're going to have to look past. You're going to have to look past just the simple things of this world and chasing the things of this world. Because when you chase the things of this world, you're always going to be chasing it. It'll never satisfy. And it'll never stop. It doesn't, does it? It just never stops. It never stops. <clears throat> um, 
you know, you're young, you're 13, 14, 15 years old, can't wait to get a car. You finally get a car. My first car was a 1966 Mercury Montclair four-door tank. Rode down the road, went down the road like a boat. Heavy as could be, just this piece of junk. As soon as you get a car, you teenagers that are already thinking about it, there's one problem with that. Unless you got parents that'll really spoil you, you end up having to get a job to pay for the car that you said you wanted. And then you end up spending all your time driving the car to work to pay for the car. And then you want to peel out and look cool and you burn up the tires. Then you find out, I got to go buy tires at $125 a pop. Then you start going, I don't want to do that anymore. Then you got to go, well, I got to buy gas. I got to buy insurance. And man, the water pump went out again, dad. Well, I guess you're going to have to do some overtime. It just never stops. Then you go, Man, Henry Ford knew what he was doing because all he did was he created this cash cow that are going all up and down the highways just doing nothing but sucking us dry, right? Life's like that. You chase something, you think, oh, that's going to be so cool. And all of a sudden you wake up going, well, I thought I was chasing that. And I found out I'm now chasing this and I'm having to chase that to keep chasing that. Does that even make sense? And you find yourself in this vicious cycle. And it's like Jesus saying, we, you keep coming after this. You need to come after me. I'll change your life. And I'll take care of you. Sounds like seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Seek God and his kingdom first. Then I'll add these other things to you. <clears throat> so... <clears throat> Um, let me get to this next one. <clears throat> Here's what I want you to see. Yeshua is in this area. Why? The main reason why Yeshua came was to die on the cross so that he could reunite the two kingdoms. And believers all over the world could be grafted in to that story. And folks, that's why he had to go there. To go back to this place where when they first came into the land, they were told, they read, were read the law, now it's time to choose. Do you want blessings or curses? It's your choice. And there he is again, meeting with who? A woman who is tired and used up, quite honestly, to some degree or another. She's there in the heat of the day. She is there by herself. And the question is, do you want living water or you just want to keep doing what you're doing? <clears throat> and this living water, I want you to notice what he says, though. Okay, if that's why he came, we'll get to that in just a second in more detail, I hope. <clears throat> but I want you to notice what he says. This is fascinating. He goes, if you had understood this, you would have come to me, you would have asked me, and I would have given you water, living water, that in you would spring up, and it's going to bring into what? What will it bring about in her life if she would be willing to drink this water? Everlasting life. You might want to circle that, because this concept is going to start to jump out. As I was reading this, I kept going, what? 
Hold, hold, hold on a minute. Everlasting life. When I'm, I'm thinking that you're there for the kingdom stuff and you only came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel and that's the house of Israel and you're in Jerusalem and you had to go that way. You could have gone around like everybody else, but no, I'm going to go straight through there. There's something else pretty cool. Well, hopefully I, I won't let that leak out too quick. And you're going to go, you got to go up to Galilee, to Galil, and you're going to go right through this one area here. And what is it that you're going to tell this woman? I came that you might have everlasting life. And we'll get ahead of myself just a little bit. There's something you need to, you need to keep in context, right? We're going to read our Bible in context. This is before the death, burial, and resurrection of the Savior. And he's talking about everlasting life. And I want you to notice this. She doesn't go, huh? We'll get to that in, in more detail in just a second. I do want you to see what she says. <clears throat> in verse 15, <clears throat> it says, The woman said to him, Master, give me this water so that I don't, have to, so that I don't thirst, nor have to come to here to draw. So even though Yeshua is trying to get her to see the deeper things, all that she can really see is, I'd like to not have to come here anymore. Superficial. Sometimes it's so difficult for us to get past thinking about just the superficial junk and the superficial things. Watch this. In our lives, she's talking to the creator of the universe, doesn't realize it. All she's wanting is, I don't want to have to get, I don't want to get thirsty. I don't want to have to come here anymore. It'd be kind of cool. He's like, really? So then he answers her and he goes, okay, well, <clears throat> go get your husband and then come here. Now he's just going to, let's just go ahead and jump to the, ch jump to the chase here. <clears throat> the woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. Yeshua said to her, you've said, well, that you have no husband for you've had five husbands and the one whom you have now is not your husband. What you've said is true. Uh-oh. Now, <clears throat> keep in mind, he's a stranger. He's a Jew from the Jerusalem area and Nazareth in the Galilee. Get it, but not a Samaritan. <clears throat> they don't know each other. She's from this town. Shechem, Nablus, or Sakar. They're all right there together. She knows he's not from there and he's a stranger. Go get your husband. I don't have a husband. Good answer. Because you've had five and the guy you're living with now is not your husband. Now, I want you to see what she says. <clears throat> the woman said to him, Master, I see that you're a prophet. Watch this. You need to highlight that. If I didn't put that in your notes, I don't remember if I highlighted it for you or not. I try not to do too much this time, force you to do some writing. He, she put down there, <clears throat> or that she said <clears throat> that you are a prophet, not the prophet. Big difference. So she goes, I see that you're a prophet. So I see that you're a man of God. You, you know, you can see, you can see things. <clears throat> And I used to teach this, and the more I've studied it for this message, I've gone, what I used to say was wrong. I used to say that what she's trying to do is she's trying to get out of this husband thing, and she's flipping the script on him. It's like, hey, let's change the subject. 
Oh, you're a prophet? Let's talk about, all right, let's talk theology. This point she's about to make is huge. And it's interesting that she does know about it. Okay? I don't think she's really necessarily just changing the script to get off of that. Everybody in town knew that she'd had five husbands. She's living with somebody. I think that's why she's there by herself now. It's nothing new to her. She's had five. She's now with her sixth man, husband, whatever, in her life. So this is, man, this is old news to her. This, this is not her first rodeo. I don't think she's embarrassed, in other words. She's like, okay, well, what else is new, right? <clears throat> so I don't really think she's really trying to flip the script and change the subject She's like, okay, I see you're a prophet. Now I want to ask you a question because this is the issue that made these people hate each other. Hate each other. You have to remember that they're right here, right below Mount Gerizim. That's where they're standing, where they can look up and see that mountain. And this is what she says. Our fathers worship on this mountain, Mount Gerizim. Up there is where they built one of the temples. When the kingdom split, <clears throat> the king built two temples, one in the southern part of the northern kingdom and the other one in the northern part of the northern kingdom because he didn't want them going to Jerusalem three times a year because he didn't want to lose his influence. So then they instigated their own priestly service, their own sacrificial system and everything else loosely connected to the Torah with their own spin on it. So she says, our fathers worship on this mountain, but you say that it's in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, is the place where one needs to worship. <clears throat> so <clears throat> this comparison is at the very heart of the Jewish Samaritan controversy. It's at the very heart of it. Both groups believe that the other one was false, and apostate, both of them. This division was most hostile and even wars broke out between the two sides. Watch this. Much like today, today, the Muslim groups of the Shiite and Sunnis, those two groups are divided between, if you will, think of Iran and Saudi Arabia. They're both Muslim, but they hate each other, hate each other. And they both believe that both groups are apostate and false, or radical, or whatever, and it would be okay to rid the earth of them, even though they're both Muslim. And it's not, watch this, it's not unlike, watch this, the Catholic-Protestant division that still rears its ugly head from time to time, where when the Protestants said, you Catholics are apostate, false, even to this day, claiming that they're all part of the Antichrist system. And the Pope is maybe connected with the Antichrist, maybe he is the Antichrist. I mean, it goes on and on and on, right? And the Catholic Church believes that we Protestants, if you didn't know that, yeah, we are Baptist. I was born and raised Baptist. Still, we're still Baptist. They believe that us Protestants are just wayward children. And one day we need to come home to the mother church and we're just kind of lost in our ways. And wars broke out and people were viciously murdered 
and killed on all sides. So can you understand that when she says, look, we're worshiping here. You guys say that we're supposed to worship down in Jerusalem. So which is it? She's like, I see you're a prophet. So what she's saying is, answer this age-old question that's been going on for over a thousand plus years, about 1,500 years now, that we've been arguing about this. They hate us and say we're apostate. To this very day, there are Samaritans that follow their version of the Torah different than what you think of your Orthodox Jews. You following me? So there's still this great division over all this stuff. And she's like, I want you to answer this question. Now look at what Yeshua says. Yeshua says to her, woman, believe me. Pay attention, believe me. The hour is coming when you shall neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem worship the Father. Hmm. Look at this. You worship what you don't know. What? So were they messed up? Quite honestly, they are. The, the whole thing is messed up. When you realize everything that was written in the, in the Old Testament, in the Torah, there, this other temple wasn't supposed to be up there. The other temple way up in the north, and I forget which mountain it was put on, <clears throat> it wasn't supposed to be up there either. And they also weren't, were not supposed to be incorporating pagan practices in their Torah observance. Of course, the southern kingdom didn't do any of that. And of course, the Christian church has never done any of that. And the Catholic church has never done any of that. And the Protestant churches still don't do any of that today. Man, we got people practicing with Ouija boards and everything else and mazes and all kinds of garbage going on in the Christian church today. It's just absolutely unbelievable. <clears throat> and, it, and it gets even worse than that. Uh, and so he's saying, look, you're worshiping something that you don't know. Yeah, y'all got it a little messed up. When I said don't add to or take away from the word of God, don't do it, which is exactly what y'all did. And, you know, and the Yehudim did too, and I'm fixing to have some confrontations with them about that as well. Stop messing and distorting my word. And then look what he says. He says, because deliverance, or if you have the ESV, it might say salvation. Salvation is of the Yehudim, from the Jews. Now, why would he say that? Folks, I want you to jot down a verse by that one, uh, by verse 22. Jot down this reference, Isaiah 14, verse 1. Isaiah 14, verse 1. It's like the more you keep digging in the Word of God, the more you go, who put that in there? Who who put that in there? Because he says, look, salvation comes and deliverance comes from the Jews, Isaiah 14, verse 1 says this, For the Lord will have compassion on Jacob and will again choose Israel. That's the two nations he's listing here. Jacob and the house of Israel. And will set them in their own land. And sojourners will join them and will attach themselves to the house of Jacob. That's not the only place you find references like this. But right here in Isaiah, he's saying, look, I've come to restore the two kingdoms. 
she's about to find out that he's, watch this, the Messiah. She's going to make that declaration. But yet she's a Samaritan. Well, I thought y'all messed up the word of God. Well, they did, but there were some fundamentals that they still believed in. Fascinating. And he's there so they know why the Messiah was to come. And here Yeshua says, you're worshiping what you don't know, but we worship what we know. Why? Because Jerusalem, because deliverance does come from the people of Israel, from the, I mean, from the Jewish people. You need to understand that because I'm doing this, watch this, through the Jewish people as a whole. Not two different groups. I know you get, I know it's like, she is atypical of the Samaritan people. This division is about 1,500 years going on now. They've been scattered out of the land since 722 B.C. This is now around 30 or so A.D. So we're getting close to 800 years since Assyria conquered them. And God said, I've divorced you. You think maybe the, 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 the Samaritans gave up. It's been a, been a thousand years. You know what? This is just, this is the way it is. Gave up. Here she is at the well because why? And she's with somebody she, she's not married to. Why? Gave up. What, whatever. I mean, how bad can it get? Right? So now she's there. Why? Because she's typical of these people who had given up, given up, watch this, given up on the idea of any kind of reunification. But that is exactly why he's there. Now watch this. That was his goal of being there. But look at this. He says, but the hour is coming and now is, verse 23, when true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father also does seek such to worship Him. Elohim, God is spirit, and those who worship Him need to worship Him in spirit and truth. So <clears throat> these true worshipers are going to worship God in spirit and truth. Now watch this. How many of you here have heard this story before and then been told or taught? Some of you here probably have because this stuff came out of my mouth <clears throat> in the ten times past that this is where Jesus is basically saying, look, that old way of the law is going to pass away. Real soon I'm going to die, be resurrected on the cross. I mean, die on the cross, be resurrected, ascend to my Father. I'm going to start this new thing. And you're not going to need to worship in Jerusalem. You're not going to have to worship up here at Mount Gerizim. You're going to worship God in spirit and truth because the spirit of truth is going to come. It's going to invade our lives. And then we're just going to worship God out of our heart. And you're not going to need a temple anymore. Well, <clears throat> that's not exactly everything that he's saying here. Look, uh, let me read some notes here uh, that I wrote down. When reading the words of Yeshua together in context, we see that he's trying to explain to her that it's not the place of worship that's most important, but it's a matter of the heart. Much like today, there are multitudes of people debating over the proper or original location of the temple in order to rebuild the third temple in the proper place. Did you know that? 
it's not the proper place that's important to figure out. The next temple will be polluted, desecrated, and the seat of the Antichrist for three and a half years. Everyone on earth will try to be right in their understanding of where, how, and when it should be built. Wrong argument. My goal in teaching here and trying to get us to understand the, the depth of the meaning of the Old Testament and the current, the current situations going on and prophecies is to try to help us see past all the white noise and focus on the most important things so we don't get sucked into the vortex of this spirit of delusion that's already poured out on the world so that we would know our God, know what's going on, and be able to do mighty things for our king. Amen? <clears throat> uh, I should have one more map there. Uh, it's called uh, Shiloh, I think. <clears throat> All right, here's what I want you to see, because this is fascinating. This is it's like, what? All right, so you see down here at the bottom is Jerusalem. That's the area where Yeshua came from, right? And he goes up there, and he's at Shechem. Right? Which is where Mount Gerizim, Mount Ebal is, the well of Jacob, Joseph's bones. He's talking to the woman at the well, and that up there is Samaria. But what did he have to go past? He had to go past Shiloh. Why is Shiloh important? Shiloh is important because the tabernacle of God when they came into the land, started conquering the land, it was at Shiloh that the tent, tabernacle of God, stood for over, watch this, 400 years. 400 years. And you know what's fascinating about that? Not one time did God say, um, it's in the wrong place. Not one time in 400 years did he go, you know what? You got my house in the wrong place. As a matter of fact, his reply and his comments about Jerusalem and a temple being built is a little strange. <clears throat> um, let, me, let me finish this because... Um, Yahovah never said, y'all have got this in the wrong place. And Jesus, Yeshua, who was the angel of the Lord that was there with them when they were traveling, he's pretty familiar with Shiloh. Right? And he has to go right past Shiloh. And I've been there. Really cool. Really cool place. Uh, and he ends up in Shechem. Now listen to this, because King David wanted to build God a house. It's, you, know my, you need to jot this one down. It's another note I didn't give you. Starting to do this on purpose now. Kind of makes you interact and make sure you're not sleeping on me. 2 Samuel 7, verses 5 through 7. 2 Samuel 7, verses 5 through 7. Listen to this. <clears throat> he's, gonna, he's talking to uh, his uh, prophet, Nathan. And he goes, verse 5, Go and say to my servant David, Thus says Yahovah, 
Would you build a house for me to dwell in? For I have not dwelt in a house since the time that I brought the children of Israel up out of Mitzrayim, Egypt, even to this day, but have moved about in a tent and in a dwelling place. Wherever I have walked with all the children of Israel, have I ever spoken a word to anyone from the tribes of Israel whom I commanded to shepherd my people saying, why have you not built a house for, out of cedar? Built me a house out of cedar. That was his reply when David starts going, I want to build you a house. God goes, why do you want to build me a house? And I had one here for 400 years. I had a tent that went around in the wilderness for 50, 40 years prior to that. And on top of that, I've always existed. And you want to build me a house out of cedar? Pay attention because... All the time that was going on, can you name me one time when I told the leaders of Israel, how come you hadn't built me a house? He says, it never happened. Now, he let it happen eventually, but he allowed, he allowed David to raise the funds to build it, but wouldn't let him build it because he was a man of blood. He was a warrior. So he let Solomon build the house. Now, here's what's fascinating. This is what all the debate is over, and it's raging, and it's getting hotter. I don't know if you know this or not. Is the, the Temple Mount the proper place where the temple really was? Now everybody's debating over that it should have been a little bit south uh, in what's called the City of David, and that that up there was basically a Roman soldier fort, and there's a lot of weight about that. But, you know, they're debating back and forth and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, hello, wrong argument. Y'all are so concerned. Matter of fact, to this very day, Orthodox Jewish people don't want Jewish people on the Temple Mount for fear, watch this, that they will walk through the area where the Holy of Holy was and make that place or themselves unclean. But they're like, well, you know, now we've mapped it out enough. It's okay because everybody knows where they shouldn't go. When we do that, we begin to worship the place. Heaven is heaven because Yeshua's there. It's not where it is. It's with whom. He is our eternal life. So Yeshua is trying to get her to see something. He's not really talking about, oh, God's doing this new thing now, and after I die and resurrect and I ascend into heaven, and then I'm going to destroy the temple because now there's new things going to happen. You're not going to need a temple. Well, during the millennial kingdom, guess what? There's going to be a millennial kingdom, a millennial temple in Jerusalem, and we're going to be required to go there three times a year. For a thousand years. We've been over that. There will be sacrifices. There will be priests there. The world will get repopulated. So it will be required during that time. Once again, why? Those of you that have been here should know. Because 
Yeshua will be living on the earth, reigning and ruling on the earth, proving that he really is God and requiring us to come to his house. And when we come to his house, we need to what? Clean our feet. That's pretty much what the sacrificial system was for. So that we didn't pollute the house. But it's not an issue over exactly where the house is as much as who's there. You got it? So that's, everybody now is really debating over this. I'm seeing it more and more and more. I'm starting to watch Facebook less and less and less. Uh, But I'm seeing it pop up more and more and more because there's this growing trend of people saying that the Temple Mount is not really where the temple was built and that it really was built down in the city of David. And now you've got believers debating back and forth and trashing each other over their views. And I'm sitting here going, once again, we're arguing about stuff that we don't even know what we're talking about because it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who builds it, why they build it, or where they build it. It's going to get built, right? Satan's going to pollute it. Antichrist is going to be there for three and a half years. Okay, cool your jets. Yeshua shows up, cleans house. We have a perfect kingdom on earth for a thousand years. After that, he releases Satan and his minions. They come up against him one more time and he goes, I think this time I'm just going to speak and settle all accounts. And he just consumes everybody. And then after that, there's not a temple anymore because we're there with him and everything's been made right. Amen. Hallelujah. That's great news, isn't it? So that's what he's trying to tell her. That's what he's trying to get her to see. She's still not catching it. Look at what she says. The woman says to him, verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming, the one who is called anointed, And when that one comes, he shall announce to us all. So she's a, what I want you to see here is she's a Samaritan. She's in this northern kingdom. They've polluted the word of God, but then so have the Jews. So have the Catholics. So have the Protestants. Okay. We're trying to work through that to understand what the word of God really says. But she knows about the Messiah. And she knows that when he comes, there's going to be peace on earth and he's going to announce everything and he's going to clarify everything. That's big. Watch this. If you don't have it highlighted on your notes, you really should highlight this in your Bible. People will say Yeshua never claimed to be the Messiah. It's because they don't know their Bibles. He says it most plainly, Right here, because she says, I know that when the Messiah comes, he's going to announce all these things. Look at what Yeshua says. Verse 26, Yeshua said to her, I, you know, me, the one that's speaking to you. He's making it really clear. There's no way to misunderstand this. I, who am speaking to you, am he. Whoa. Can you imagine her thought process. All the while this is going on, his disciples are walking up. So that's something else that's going on. <clears throat> Verse 27, we gotta, gotta continue on here so I don't run out of time. <clears throat> Verse, uh, what did I say? I just moved it. 
Verse 27, and upon, uh, upon this, his taught ones came up, his disciples came up, and they were marveling that he was speaking with a woman. However, no one said to him, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? And the woman then left her water jug and went away to the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all that I have done. Quote, is this not the Messiah? Everyone was looking for the Messiah. What? Yeah. Even the Samaritans. They were looking for him. Verse 30. They went out of the city and they were coming to him. That's all we're told that she says to him. I met a man who told me everything I've ever done. Isn't this the Messiah? And they're all like, let's go see. Can I just ask you a question? If this is a woman that nobody in town wanted to be around, do you think they would give her that much credence and that everybody would say, let's go see? Was she tired? Yes. Was she ostracized from the community? I don't think so. She felt comfortable enough to go running back to maybe even the religious leaders of the area and watch this. They're right there at Mount Gerizim where one of the temples were, where they worshiped. It was a holy place to them. So she's not running out to farmers that don't have a clue. She's running back to some of the, if you will, religious elite of that area who at least thought they were. She's like, I met a man that told me everything. I think this might be the Messiah. And they're like, okay, let's go see. I'm just trying to broaden our viewpoints of this woman. <clears throat> so in verse 30, it says, so they were coming to him. And then look at verse 31. But in the meantime, his taught one said, his disciples said, Rabbi, you know, you need to eat. <laughs> this is when he replies to him and says, you know, y'all don't even know what you're talking about. He goes, man, I got food to eat, which you don't even know. You've been really, really hungry but then all of a sudden you get excited about some or scared to death, and the last thing you think about is food. That adrenaline kicks in, Holy Spirit kicks in, whatever, whatever is really hitting you at the moment. <clears throat> and you're not thinking about food. Physically, I'm sure his body was hungry, but he's like, I created everything. I picked out a nation, and I told you guys, you would rebel. I even told you that you would split up into two kingdoms. I told you that I would scatter you. I told you I would bring you back. And I'm here at this place to announce that to these people that I divorced and they're not quite getting it. I got food to eat that you don't even know about. <laughs> the verse 33 says, then the tall one said, man, did somebody else get him some food? Somebody else go down to McDonald's, get him something to eat. We didn't know about I mean, what's going on here? Yeshua said to them, my food is to do the desire of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Isn't it so true that so many times we get more focused on what we're eating, what we're wearing, what we're doing, instead of we need to focus on accomplishing what God called us to do. Instead of even how we look to other people or, or whatever. When I was a youth minister, I used to tell kids, I'm like, you know, <clears throat> you're so worried about buying this new car that you think is pretty cool. 
Don't you realize that thing is nothing more than refined dirt? That's all it is. They dug up dirt out of the ground, put it through a fire, molded it, got some more dirt out of the ground, formed it and put it together with some water and stuff. They turned that into, watch this, paint. Then we took some other stuff and mixed these other things and refined them together and turned it into clear coat. Then we took some other dirt and put it under some real hot fire and turned it into glass. Then we dug way down in the ground and got some more dirt, refined it a little bit, stuck a match to it and blew the engine around so it would push it down the road. And then guess what? When it's been out there long enough and been beat up enough times, they're going to put it in a car crusher, that thing that you just really want. Then they're going to take that metal and they're going to separate it. And some of it's going to end up being a bean can in a grocery store. Something we think we just got to have. <clears throat> he says, my food is to do the desire of him who sent me and to accomplish his task, to accomplish his work. This is where he starts saying to him, do you not say there are still four months and the harvest to come? See, why would he say, see, lift up your eyes and see the fields for they are white unto harvest already? Why would he say that? He's telling them, look, the field is white unto harvest. We need to get to work. Why would he say, because they're coming up the hill. They're coming toward, the town is coming towards them in their robes, white, like grain ready to be harvested. So he's like, look, in verse 36, he who is reaping receives a ward and gathers fruit for everlasting life. <clears throat> so that both he who is sowing and he who is reaping rejoice together. For in this, the word is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap for that which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labors. So he's telling them, says, here you are. And there's been a lot of work that's gone on before this moment that was picked in eternity past that I would be right here, just came past Shiloh. I'm trying to get people to see it's not about Merrick Mount Gerizim. It's not even about Jerusalem. It's not about the place. Is God going to use the place? Yes. Is he using that up there as a teaching point? Yes. Is he using Jerusalem as a teaching point? Yes. Is he going to do it in the future? Yes. But is it about... Jerusalem. No, it's about him. It's about the word that he promised that he's going to bring it about. It's not about the place. As soon as we make it about Jerusalem, then we're not making it about him. As soon as we start coming here and it's all about either the teaching or the singing or the fellowship and it's not about him, then we've missed the boat. Our whole goal in life should be to glorify our king in everything we do. In everything you do, whether word or deed, do it in a way that will glorify your king. Amen? That's what we're supposed to be doing. <clears throat> now, look at this because this is where it blew my mind. And I want to try to close on this. <clears throat> Verse 39. Many of the Shomronites, or the Samaritans, of the city believed him because of the word of the woman who, who witnessed, he told me all that I've done. Therefore, the Shomrites came to him and they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. Not three, 
not one, not seven, two. Because there's something special about the third day. And he's been gone how long? 2,000 years, and a day, a 1,000 years is like a day to the Lord, so he's been gone two days. And when he shows up and he reigns on this earth physically, he'll do it for a 1,000 years the third day. And he rose on the third day. We could go on and on about that. But <clears throat> so they asked him to stay two days. They asked him to stay, and he stays two days. Then look at verse 41. It says, and many more believe because of his word. So he's teaching them there for two days, and they're believing in him that he's the Messiah. You have to remember, this is when? Before the death, burial, and resurrection. So what's he telling them? He's telling them the same thing the apostle Paul taught people when he went into the synagogues even after the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua because they didn't have the New Testament. He's telling them and explaining to them all the prophecies in the Torah up to that point through the prophets, through Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, on and on and on. Ezekiel, Daniel, he's like, I am the Messiah. <clears throat> and they make a comment that I went, there's something going on here. Watch this. It says, verse 41, and many more believe because of his word. And then they say to the woman something. We no longer believe because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard, so we've heard him personally, and we know that this is truly the Messiah, the what? Uh, the Savior of the world. What? Where do they get that? The Savior of the world. I mean, I thought that was a New Testament after the resurrection thing. Why would they say that? Folks, because they knew their Bible better than we do. They knew that when Messiah came, reunited the kingdoms, that he would bring peace on the earth and salvation, eternal life with God. He would restore everything and bring all the kingdoms back underneath the reign and rule of the one true God. They understood that. Here's what's fascinating. This isn't the first time we've heard this already in this story. Here we, I got some more notes here. I better read them. <clears throat> here we see the Samaritans confess that Yeshua is the Savior of the world. That's what they're confessing. He's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. How do they know this, given that this is before the death, burial, and resurrection of Yeshua? Well, John the Baptist declared him to be the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yeshua tells Nicodemus that God so loved the world and that whosoever believed in him would not perish, but would have everlasting life. These people didn't question the statements. Not one time do people go, whoa, 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 hold on a minute. I mean, we're the Jews after all. We're God's chosen people. I mean, I know the Messiah is coming, 
but he's like, you know, our Messiah. You know, this is a Jewish thing. Right? If you don't understand your Old Testament, that's kind of what you think. Well, it's the Jewish Messiah. Anybody ever hear that? He was the Jewish Messiah. He is the Messiah that came through the Jews, not just for the Jews, but for the world. And they understood these prophecies. <clears throat> I read those passages. Or I, uh, <clears throat> it's found, you need to jot these down because it's in John 1, 29, just so you can go back and look at it again. John 1, verse 29. And then also John 3, 16 and 17, those famous passages, those famous verses. <clears throat> For Elohim did not send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So when he says that to Nicodemus, Nicodemus doesn't go, what are you talking about? The world? I mean, I don't understand. What are you talking about? He didn't because they knew it. Now watch this. I have, I've got to write, I've got to read this. Today it seems once again, that we humans are constantly focusing on the wrong things. Which religious group has it all figured out and are the right group? Everybody's arguing. Where should the temple be built and by whom? Watch this. Who are the real Israelites? And where are they? That's all over in the Christian church today. It's all over in the Messianic groups today. Oh, just debating and bashing people left and right. It's nonstop. Are the Jewish people superior and should we fear them? Now, I know those of you here that are in Roy City, you're thinking, that's, that's dumb. There's a huge part of the world population that believes that and hate them for it. They got all the money. They got all the jobs. They got all the influence. They're evil. They don't understand. They have a lot of that stuff because God's blessing them because they're his chosen people, but people refuse to see the truth. So they want to take the blessings and say the blessings are actually a curse. They're of the devil. So they're taking God's blessings and attributing it to, to Satan. Take that one to the dance. See how that one turns out. Watch this. Which politician will bring us real lasting peace? That's in your face every day. <clears throat> or is all religion corrupted? These are just a few of the major questions societies are asking, and yet none of them are the main point. Not one of them. Yahovah is bringing all the kingdoms and all people under his domain through his Messiah, Yeshua, who was using the nation of Israel to prove who he is and who he says he is. And right there, he's doing it at the same place where Israel came in and said, and they were challenged, what do you want? Do you want blessings or curses? It's your choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that's where that happened. And so he leaves Jerusalem and he said, I have to go there. It wasn't just to meet a woman. It was to make a declaration. I've come to bring these back together. But what you also need to understand, folks, it's not about the Jews. 
It's not about Jerusalem. It's not about Shiloh. It's not about Shechem. It's not about Mount Gerizim or Mount Ebal. It's not even about this dirt. You know what it's about? It's about the king. It's about the king of glory. And that when that really happens, he will bring about peace. But that's not going to happen until it gets pretty ugly. If you don't understand these fundamental truths in your Bible, then I'm telling you, it is so easy to get sucked into the insane vortex that's out there. And you find yourself arguing about stuff, watch this, that doesn't even matter. There are Christian groups and Messianic groups that are spending all of their energy, all of their resources, all of their time, all of their study to try and prove where the temple is supposed to be built and to prove the other group wrong. We got Messianic people spending all of their time and energy trying to prove that the Christian church is wrong. We got the Christian church trying to prove that I'm a heretic. And people like me, sorry, but you're in a cult tonight and following a heretic because I believe all the word of God and don't believe that God did away with the law. So evidently I'm a heretic. Uh, <clears throat> we got Baptists that hate Catholics and Catholics that hate Baptists. We got believers that hate the Jews because they supposedly murdered the Messiah. We got Jews that hate Christians because we murdered so many Jews. The list goes on and on and on and on. And nobody wants to focus on the real issue. And the real issue is, do we love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love each other as ourselves because all of the law and the prophets hang on those two. It hangs on those two. First of all, we love God with everything that we've got. Secondly, that we love each other. Because God wants to take a nobody. We don't even know this woman's name. Don't even know her name. Matter of fact, God is real good at doing that. He takes nobodies. He takes people that are broken. He takes people that the rest of the world says this one's a loser. This one's so bad, they even gave up on themselves. This one's not much more than just a gutter rat. Forget, just let it go. And God goes, that's the one I want. That's the one I'm going to use to prove to the world that I really am who I say I am. That's what he does. All we know is that this is the woman at the well. This woman at the well went back and brought the whole town these Samaritans who had messed up royal and had given up on themselves, they come back and they make a statement that until this week studying this, I never really saw it. We now know that he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Not just us, not just reunifying us in our kingdom and getting us our glory back, that's pretty self-centered, isn't it? 
We now know that he's the Messiah, the Savior of the world. Folks, that's who he is. That's what he did. That's what he's doing. That's what he's going to continue to do. This Yeshua, Jesus, the creator of the universe, and he loves you. Loves you so much that he died on the cross for you. Loves you so much that he crossed eternity to get right here so that he could go up there into the Galilee. He could come back down here and end up dying on the cross. Watch this. So that the people he was talking to, he could remove the divorce decree so that he could legally remarry them. Because God had divorced them. He did. And by his own law, that divorce decree is hanging there until the husband dies. It's the greatest love story never told. The rejected husband by the unfaithful wife comes back and takes on the curses that the wife should have taken and dies so he can release her from that divorce decree, thus making it legally obtainable for him to remarry her. And Satan has nothing he can say about it. That's why Paul said, if they had only known, they wouldn't have murdered the king of glory. But the devils didn't know because God kept it a secret. 